This morning, we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 13. And so if you have a Bible with you, or if you want to grab the Pew Bible and go ahead and open your Bibles to Revelation 13, that's where we're going to be this morning. And I'm sure many of you that knew where we were going to be, that read ahead to kind of figure out what we were going to talk about this week, read it and were like, oh no, because I had the exact same response. I read it and I was like, oh no, I have to now teach on this, which is great because, again, we have been learning throughout this entire time in Revelation that all of it has something to speak to us, and in particular, we are reminded from Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, that all who read and hear the contents of this prophecy, of this book, will be blessed as long as they keep it. And so, we're going to read Revelation 13 this morning, and we're going to try to hear what it is that the Lord wants us to know from its contents. But I am going to approach it a little bit differently than maybe you either thought I would talk about it or hoped I would talk about it, uh, but we'll see where we get to. So, here are the words of Revelation 13, starting in verse 1. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. Then I saw one of his heads as if it had been, been slain fatally, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled and followed after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? And there was given to him a mouth speaking great boasts and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. And then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he was seeking, speaking as a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. And he go, does great signs so that even he makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And it deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which were given to him to do in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves, 
that they be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, that, and that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for is the number of man, and his number is 666. Let's pray. Oh, good and gracious God, if there is one thing that is true, it is that I am a man and I am weak and that I falter in my words. But Lord, as we hear this word this morning, would you make much of yourself and would you allow us to have the ears to hear and hearts open to receive what it is that you have to say. And if there is anything that is coming from me, may it fall on deaf ears. But let the things of you fall on open ones. May we hear what it is that you have to say. What it is that you have to speak. That is our greatest desire to hear you and to know you and to love you and to follow after you and to obey you. And so lead us, Lord, through the power and the guidance of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. The beast of the sea and the beast of the earth. Where do we even begin that's the question that I ask myself all week. Where do I even begin to talk about these things? Because we hear them and we wonder what it is, how are we supposed to respond? Last week, we heard this great apocalyptic advent story of the woman that was with the child and the child was born and the dragon tried to devour the child, but the Lord, the God, that God took the child up out of the clutch of the dragon so that the child would be spared. And the woman went away into the wilderness and she was protected for 42 days. And as we were talking about that passage, all we were talking about was, hey, look, we have to understand and recognize that the enemy is a real presence in this world. And that his desire, since he can't get to the Christ child, is to come after the saints, to come after the church. He wants to make war with those who are in God's hands, who have chosen to believe upon the name of Jesus. And that because of that, we're going to experience suffering in this world. We're going to experience this, this torment at times and this temptation that comes from the devil. But we also spoke about that our war is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities in this dark world. But now we need to talk about what does that actually mean as we start to go deeper. It's not just about the dragon and the war that he's waging. It's how is he waging that war? What is he using as his weapons of warfare against the saints, against the church? 
And he does it in two major ways. He does it through the beast of the sea and the beast of the earth. Now, as we've been walking through Revelation, I've been teaching about what this word has to say to us right now and putting it a little bit into context just so that we can understand when it was written and why it was written. But I've been trying to avoid trying to go into too much of unpacking what is this really trying to say? Is this, is this super literal? Is it super historical? Is it, what is, what is it just to encourage the saints? And we're reading it from an encouragement standpoint because I think that's what we need to take away from it. So we're to be encouraged ultimately by what is in the contents of this book. Because there are so many different ways to interpret the metaphors that it contains. But I want to be careful as a teacher, as a pastor, to not lead us astray by getting into the weeds and taking so much of our time trying to interpret things that scholars have debated for ever. Since, since we were given the book, trying to work it out and figure it out. I think that doesn't do any good for the body right now. I think it is good to think about those things. I think it's good to, to try to unpack them in your own time and to read commentaries and see what it says. But I want us to leave encouraged in faith and in greater knowledge of who Jesus is and what it is the power of Jesus that is revealed within the contents of this book. Which brings me to, as we read this passage, it is about two figures in history, whether you want to see that history future, history present, or history past, but two figures. Whether they be literal or metaphorical, I think it's a combination of both. But that's what this chapter is about. It's about these two figures. But I'm going to be honest right now. I don't want to give any uh, more attention than I need to to those two figures. Because I don't want us to focus on them. I don't want us to glorify them. I don't want us to put them up and say, I have to be afraid of them. I have to think about them. They aren't worthy of our worship. They're not worthy of our focus. We need to be aware but we do not need to be consumed. I think what often happens when we start reading through the book of Revelation, and I think oftentimes why it doesn't get preached on enough, is because we get consumed by the evil that we see within it, and we try to focus too much on, well, who is the Antichrist? Who's the false prophet? How should I, should I be scared? What, am I trying to invoke fear? Am, am I trying to scare you out of hell by reading the passages? No, that's not my goal. I don't want to scare you out of hell. I don't think that's a great way to lead people to Jesus. I want you to be encouraged because Jesus is the greatest thing that ever happened for us. Let's see Jesus in these passages, not the beast of the sea and the beast of the earth. But nonetheless, we need to talk about them briefly. 
And so let's, let's open this passage up just a little bit. First and foremost, I want us to understand that as you hear about the beast of the sea that is coming up out of the sea, it starts describing this beast in some weird language. You start reading like he's got seven heads and seven horns and ten diadems. Well, if you remember in our previous chapter, we read the same thing about the dragon. And then later in 13, it talks about how the dragon gave all his power and his authority to the beast of the sea. And so when we start reading about these diadems and these horns and the heads, what we're trying to, what, what, the, what John is trying to say is, hey, look, what I'm seeing is that the, this, this person, this beast of the sea is given the power and the authority of the dragon. And so the dragon, we were told, is the serpent of old, the devil, Satan himself. And so Satan, this, this all-powerfully not powerful, but given power in a limited way from God, which we've been talking about all along, God, the, the enemy only has so much power as God gives him. But he does have power in the earth. And so that same power that the enemy had, he is now giving to this one person that comes out from the sea, this beast of the sea. But I also want us to look at two, and it says that he's like a leopard, his feet are like a bear, he has the mouth of a lion. But then the dragon gave him his power and his throne and his great authority. But what I want us to understand is that apocalyptic literature follows all this imagery that's also happened before. If you open to Daniel chapter 7, you're going to read about the four beasts that come out of the sea that are like a leopard and like a bear and like a lion and like a man. And then John starts to receive this revelation from Jesus and he sees the same thing that Daniel saw of a beast, only instead of seeing four different beasts, he sees one singular beast that comes out of the sea in the appearance of a leopard and a bear and a lion and a man. And he's given this power and authority from the dragon. And we learn that this beast receives a fatal wound to one of his heads and he dies, and then, but he comes back to life. And then we go forward through the passage into 11, because I want to make the connection here. It's going to be, I want to try to jump back and forth a little bit without getting too confusing, but then you have the beast of the earth that comes to point everybody on the earth to the beast of the sea. Say, hey, look, he came back to life. You should worship him. And so oftentimes what we say about this chapter is that it's the establishment of the unholy trinity. You have the dragon, which is Satan. You have the beast of the sea, which is the antichrist. And then you have the beast of the earth, which is the false prophet. So you have Satan, the false Christ, and the false prophet all established in 13. And what I want us to understand is that there is both the reality that there is probably a future coming where these are individual people, but there is also a past reality 
to which John was writing that said, hey, these existed. These kinds of people existed throughout history, and they exist today. And that's how I really want us to unpack this a little bit. But the very first thing is that it teaches that the enemy really is real, and his aim is to deceive us. His aim is to exert power over us. His aim is to rule over us. His aim is to come and steal, kill, and destroy us, faithful believers in Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to do. He wants to overcome us. But praise be to God that we learned last week that the saints overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their witness. By the work of Jesus in their life and in their heart. That's how they overcame the enemy. But that's in a real spiritual sense. And so now we come with this idea of deception on a grander scale. On a scale that's actually working within society. I mean, look at the false prophet and how they're given the mark of the beast. And with the mark of the beast, it's only by that that you can make purchases. It's only by that that you can get food. Maybe even go out of your house. Who knows? But the deception starts to work its way into society so strongly that faithful believers actually become fully oppressed. And the way that I mean to say this is, hey, let's look not just at the future, but at the past. This was Rome. This was truly the experience of Christians in Roman times. And you might be asking, I know someone's like, well, really glad we get to talk about the number of the beast today and the mark of the beast and what that means. Well, hate to break it to you. I'm not going to dive too much into it. Because quite frankly, scholars don't know. They've got lots of debates about what it could be. Historically speaking, if you're looking at this, you know, study of how every letter in the alphabet is associated with a number, and that names ultimately would add up to a certain number, that's one way we could get there. And the two people historically that add up to the number 666 is Julius Caesar and Vespasian, which are two rulers of Rome, right? And so we could be speaking about those specific rulers in Rome. The other way to look at it is to say the number 666 stands in opposition to the number of Jesus, which is actually 888, added up. But also six is associated with the number of man, and it even says, let him who has understand calculate the beast for is the number of man, and man is six. And we've been talking about these triples that are found in Revelation, holy, 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 and whoa, whoa, whoa. Six, 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 standing in opposition to the Jesus of 888. But without diving too much into the weeds, here's what I really want us to pull away from verse 18. And this is why I don't want to teach too much on it. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. I don't have full understanding. I don't know what this is supposed to mean fully and completely in context of how I'm supposed to view it down the road or view it in the past. 
the jury's a little out on it. But here's what I can tell you that I do see in wisdom. Is that the enemy has a real plan against us as faithful believers. His desire is to knock us down, drag us through the mud, throw us into jail, and cut off our heads. Praise be to God. He's that afraid of the followers of Jesus Christ that he will do anything. Anything. To knock us down. Anything to get us afraid of him. Anything. Anything. That should encourage us, right? But here's what we need to see for today. I'm getting a little, you know, too wordy. But here's what I want us to say. First and foremost, who is the Antichrist as we look at today? Right? Because that's the real question. What are we talking about as the church today? And I want to say this. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 24, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. False Christs in that Greek actually means Antichrists. There will be not just one singular person in history that will be the Antichrist, but there will be multiple Antichrists. Many false Christs, many false prophets that will come to deceive. They will arise and they will do signs and wonders. It's going to look like they are on the side of God, but we have to be aware of the message that they bring. It cannot just be, hey, look and see and follow. Because there will be many that will come in my name, but it is not I. Part of the role of the Christian is to be aware of these teachings of Jesus, to be aware of the Word of God ourselves. I mean, let's turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. So this is back in like 80 A.D., and John is writing and saying, the last hour is now. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. And what does John say is the Antichrist? In chapter 4, verse 3, the Antichrist is every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in this world. If somebody comes and does things, but they refuse to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God and coming from God, and God himself, they're a false prophet. They're a false teacher. They're not sharing the gospel of Jesus. They're not sharing the very thing that we need to be aware of continually in our own heart. There's a great um, Bible teacher named Wearsby, and Warren Wearsby, and he has this book, uh, and I'm trying to remember the title of it, but I can't. But anyways, in the book, he says one thing. He says, Christians are without excuse 
in knowing what the scripture says. We in America have the Bible in so many different English translations. Find one that's easy for you to read, but you're not, you're without excuse. Because it's available to you. It's no longer withheld from you. It's available to us. Even if you want to get into the original languages, there are tools online that can help you get into the Greek and Hebrew if you wanted to. It's available. We are without excuse. Because let me tell you, the work of the enemy is to deceive. And you want to know the biggest way that he deceives? By you not knowing your Bible. And by taking Bible and twisting it just enough just enough that you might believe that it says something that it doesn't say. And that's where I want us to kind of land in Matthew chapter 4. I'm just going to read this. And then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. So here the, here the enemy is quoting Scripture to Jesus as a temptation. He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. But then Jesus responds to the enemy. He said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You should serve him only. And then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and began to minister him. It's the word of God used as a weapon against the enemy when he tries to come and deceive you with the word itself. But we have to read it and know it in order to understand that sometimes when people take Scripture, they're using it for their advantage, not for yours. I actually love Ephesians chapter 6 when it's talking about putting on the whole armor of God. There's only one part of the armor of God that's offensive. It's the Word. It's the Word of the Spirit coming and filling you up. So that you can come against the enemy when he comes against you. We are without excuse. We live in one of the most literate countries in the world. You have so much access. And yet so many of us don't access the very thing that gives us life.
through its contents and the work of the Holy Spirit through it. Because mind you, it's also a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of belief in Jesus Christ. And when the Holy Spirit comes as your seal and indwells within you, that when you read this contents, it actually comes alive. Because otherwise, if an atheist picks this up and just reads it, it might not bring much if the Holy Spirit doesn't quicken them as well. But you who believe, who have been filled, these are the words of life as given by God through the prophets, through the apostles, and by His grace, His Holy Spirit has been set upon you that when you read it, you can understand. But you gotta seek, you gotta ask, you gotta knock, and you will find door will be opened. It's all right here. Let us know that the enemy is coming, but not because the enemy deserves any credit, (laughs) but because Jesus deserves it all. Isn't he worthy? Worthy is the lamb. I love that bridge. And let him receive his reward in me. We're his reward. I don't deserve to be Jesus' reward. I think he got a pretty pretty bad treasure in me. (laughs) But I'm thankful I'm his reward. So I want to give it back to him. I'm going to learn as much as I can about him. Because here's the thing. I'm going to end with this. We need to remember also Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for the Father has revealed that to you. And then not even 10 verses later, Jesus says to that same Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because he did not understand what Jesus was going to do when he went to the cross. You can be filled with the Spirit and sometimes still be used by the enemy if you aren't careful to also know what is written in here. I've made mistakes I've probably said something heretical from this stage. I hope not, but maybe. I've got to be careful, and I will answer for it in that moment that I meet Jesus face to face. But praise be to him that there is grace in that moment too. And that grace covers you as well. And so even when that beast of the sea and the beast of the earth come to wage their war, I ain't going to be scared. I'm going to trust in Christ and the work that he did and in his word, the words that he gave because they are good, they are faithful, and they are true. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, lead us 
Lead us to your sovereign word. Lead us to have our hearts hunger and filled with the very words of life. Even as Jesus said to the enemy in the wilderness, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the Father. It is a gift to us, Lord. And so, yeah, there is an antichrist. There are many antichrists in this world that are coming against you and coming against us. And there are false teachers and prophets trying to do signs and wonders to lead us astray. But we cannot be led astray if we have you and have your word within us. Praise be to you, Lord, for leading us and guiding us through your Holy Spirit, who you promised to us in John 15 and 16 that he would come and teach and reveal to us all things that you have commanded. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.